Well, good morning. I want to begin this year by addressing what I think is the most problematic member of our anatomy, and that is our tongue. And this little member of the body can set a whole forest on fire. It's a world of iniquity. And the Apostle James tells us that if we can somehow tame the tongue, bridle the tongue, that we can actually attain a degree of perfection in our lives. So I want to start this year by asking you to join with me in making a deliberate commitment not to criticize, not to condemn, not to castigate, not to speak evil, not to be harsh in our judgments. And James chapter 1 and verse 19 is sort of my personal goal for 2022. So then, my brother, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I've decided I don't have to have an opinion on anything, amen, on everything. And I, I, I saw a quote the, the other day, and I thought it would be good for me to start with this quote, that the ability to speak in uh, several languages is an asset, but the ability to keep your mouth shut, shut in any language is priceless. Amen. <laughs> uh, my text today is uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 to 5. Jesus said, judge not and you shall not be a judge. Uh, another translation says, condemn not and you shall not be condemned. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. John chapter 7 and verse 24, another verse, similar vein, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And one more scripture in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 3 to 4, it says, he shall not judge by the sight of the eyes or by the sight by the hearing of the ears, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make in life is to judge others by what we see or by what we hear. We judge people by how we perceive them, what we've read about them, what we've heard about them. We judge by appearance, we judge by speech. And in this passage, the Lord is saying, is not saying that we cannot judge. What He is saying is that if you make a judgment, then make sure it is done righteously. And I'll come, come to that in a few moments. Because for one thing, Jesus Himself judged extensively about what was right what was wrong? He made it clear what he approved and what he did not approve. He was definitely not a fence-sitter. Amen. But he did not judge according to the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear. And there are several reasons why we're not to do that. And I'll give you uh, uh, two uh, reasons. Number one, by the standard you judge someone, that standard will be applied to you on judgment aid. Now, that's a scary thought because for most of us, we are prone to be overly critical and harsh in our judgment. So if you've been unmerciful, then mercy will be withheld from you on the judgment day. If you've been uncompassionate, then the same standard will be applied to you. And for this reason, and this reason alone, I think that we ought to be very careful how we speak about others, how we pass judgment. I have made a personal decision in my life that I will not speak a bad word about anyone any longer. And if I didn't have anything good to say about the person that I'm going to choose to keep my mouth shut. And I'm going to ask God to give me the grace to keep my word and the church to hold me accountable to that word as well. This does not mean that we gloss over people's sins. No, sir. It doesn't mean that we gloss over the attitudes of bad behavior. No. People often use this verse as a sort of a defense mechanism. 
especially a lot of the liberal people. Don't judge me. The Bible says not to judge uh, and you should not be judging my lifestyle. And they use that as a defense mechanism to sort of cancel you out. Uh, this cancel culture is a very, very bad uh, uh, culture. We cancel the cancel culture. Hallelujah. <laughs> but the Lord never said that we're not to correct one another. All right. What He said was, you should never correct a brother when there is a plank in your own eye. It was quite funny actually when I think he said it because uh, it, will, um, it will cause you not to see clearly. Your judgments will be skewed. But if you have to judge, then you judge righteously and temper it with mercy and with compassion because judgment when administered in a cold and condemning manner can actually crush a person. It has to be uh, ministered with love and gentleness, and I don't know of uh, something more terrible, anything more terrible in the Christian life that destroys another than criticism does. The uh, people being critical, speaking derogatory, and it's a curse, man, that sticks on us. So all I'm saying is that we develop a good and healthy eye that when we look at someone, come on, you can look for the good in people, amen, rather than the bad. Now, it's very easy to find fault with somebody. You don't have to have discernment for it. All you have to need is a, two pair, a pair of eyes and an imagine, imaginative mind. <laughs> if you want to find fault with me, come on, it's so easy. I have both the Adamic nature in me, but I also have the Christ nature in me, right? If you're going to look for Adam in me, I guarantee you, you will find it pretty quickly. But if you're also looking for Jesus in me, you will find it, hopefully, amen? Yeah, you will. So uh, we're not called to be fault finders. We're called to be repairers of the breach. Come on. So remember that judgment is double-edged, right? It cuts both ways. The standards we judge others will be the same standards that God will use to judge us. There's a second reason why we're not to judge. The Bible says that we're not to judge by the seeing of the eye and the hearing of the ear because things are not always what they seem. In other words, you don't judge a book by its cover. And we often don't know the backstory. We don't know the circumstances that people are going through and why they act in a certain way. We see a brother outside the church He's got a cigarette in his hands and we judge him, but we might not know that he has just come clean from drugs four days ago and he's barely holding it together. Come on. We see a girl in the church with tattoos all over her arms and we, make, we pass a snide remark, but we do not know she's just been released from prison uh, and trying to live for Jesus the best she can. Or a mother who's with a screaming child. I said yesterday, a screaming mother with a child. Hallelujah. <laughs> Maybe the mother who, is, uh, who has got no one to turn to and she's desperately looking for help. Hey, come on, all I'm saying is give people some slack, man. Give people some slack. There are people in our church right now that are really struggling with serious problems, desperately in need and help. So don't sit and judge them. Do something for them. Amen. I don't think we can ever judge someone righteously until we truly love people. Amen. The church is for the broken, it's for the weak. We all have taken turns to be weak. Jesus did not come for the well, He came for those who are sick and in need of a physician. So learn to sit where they sit before you say anything. Think about this. One season, David was an outcast, criminal, running from the law, and many people condemned him. He's a criminal, man. The next season, he's the king of Israel. They just didn't know the backstory. One season, Ruth was a Gentile woman, a Moabitess, working in a field, despised by everyone. The next moment, she owned the field. Come on. One moment, we see Peter denying the Lord. 
He's done. He's finished. It's over for Peter. And the next moment, we see him fearlessly preaching the gospel. One moment, we see Saul persecuting Christians and putting them into prison. And next moment, he is preaching the gospel. He's an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many years ago, I was an officer of a large real estate company. We had a wide range of properties for sale. A man walked in one day, just unannounced, and he asked to see me. He wanted to buy one of those properties. And so my staff brought him to the meeting room, and I went to the meeting room, and the moment I saw him, I disdained him. He was wearing a pair of shorts. He was wearing a T-shirt and a plastic uh, bag in his hands, very scrawny. And he said, sir, I want... I said, what do you want? He said, I want to buy one of your properties. And I looked at him very condescendingly because I judged him by appearance. And I said to him, sir, do you even have money to buy one of the properties? <laughs> and he, he looked at me and he took up from his uh, plastic bag a, a stack of share certificates. Now, in those days, we had to have those share certificates. This thick, I mean, I mean, the value of those shares alone, I think, was at least half a million dollars in cash right there in front of me. And I looked at him and I said, would you like tea or coffee? <laughs> I made the terrible mistake of judging a man by how he dressed and how he spoke, but I'm so glad I learned it when I was young. And I also learned one thing, that people who have the most wealth are those who don't, flaunt, don't need to flaunt their wealth. Jesus said, don't judge a person by appearance. Once I preached in a church in the United Kingdom about accepting people as they are. And I asked the church a question, a, a rhetorical question. I said, if a prostitute walks into church this morning, low cut, high heels, mini skirt, all dolled up, how would you treat her? It's a rhetorical question. I wanted to know how the church would treat somebody like this because Jesus treated them with dignity. He might not have condoned their lifestyle, he might not have condoned their occupation, but he was very patient and compassionate toward them. How many broken people have we turned away because of our condescending Pharisaic nature? And I remember so clearly at the end of the service, a tall woman of color came up to me, shook my hands, and she smiled and she said, Pastor, thank you for not judging my kind. She was a prostitute in church on Sunday morning. And I could have crushed her if I was hard and condescending. When you love somebody, when you lose something precious, my friends, you are not distracted by what's not missing. Come on, that's so good. If you lose something precious, you are not distracted by what's not missing. The good shepherd will leave 99 behind and go and look for the one he came to seek and save the Lord. I tell you, the God we serve is the most unpretentious, unboastful person you will ever know. And much of what He does is behind the scenes and we don't even know it. I tell you, how many of you have had your life threatened over and over again? You could not be here. If, if it's what's not for His grace, you would not be here this morning. He saved you from accident after accident. He preserved your life. But you didn't know it because He works behind the scenes. And we should get up every morning and thank Him that you still have breath in your life. Amen. And every morning I tell you, this is one of the 20 things I thank God for. Every morning I thank God for the very breath that I breathe because it comes from Him. The very grace of life itself. The very fact that He gave me permission to live on this life. The very fact that I've lived 62 years of life on this earth. I thank God every morning for the grace of life. Hallelujah. And we must never take this for granted, my friends. If you read the book of Judges, You'll find the nation of Israel in total disarray and confusion. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was a complete breakdown of law and order. And if you were a Jew living in those days, you would come to the conclusion that God was on a vacation and He did not really care for us. 
But if you draw back the curtains, you would discover God relentlessly working behind the scenes to prepare Israel for her next season. The Moabitess girl called Ruth, being prepared for the most amazing adventure in her life. She marries Boaz, and in three generations, one of her grandsons is going to be the greatest and finest king that Israel ever produced, and God was going to establish the kingdom. That was what God was doing. But we don't see it because we don't see the back scenes. It happened again in the days of Esther. Remember the story when the annihilation of the Jewish race was a probability, a real probability. But if you didn't see behind the scenes, you would have thought that God had abandoned us, that He could not protect us. But if God will allow you to peek behind the scenes, he, he, you would see a God working and planning to completely overturn evil, the evil scheme of the enemy and bring great deliverance to the people of Israel. It would be very easy to judge God. It would be very easy to say, Lord, where are you? Why were you not with me when I was going through the most difficult times in my life? But I'm telling you in the most unassuming way, He was working behind the scenes to ensure not just your survival, not just your future, but your destiny. Hallelujah. Shalkaba. God is at work and we often don't perceive it. So the next time you're tempted to pass a judgment and judge God, where were you? Why were you not doing anything? Or make a snide remark about somebody or some circumstance in your life where you're tempted to criticize the authorities, spiritual or governmental. Stop, pause, sailor, and be slow to speak. Come on, man. You know, I know the government is taking a lot of flack with this whole COVID thing, and I, some of you might agree with you with the laws, and some of you might not agree. All I'm saying is you stop criticizing. Amen? I think they're doing the best they can. And you know, we, we have this big debate right now with the vax and the unvax, a lot of conspiracy theories going on. Uh, within a month's uh, on time on, in February, uh, all the unvax people cannot come to church. How do we handle that? I'm in the church, we're brainstorming, right? I met with the pastors recently. I said, what can we do for all the unvax people in the church that cannot be allowed to come back to church? What can we do to pastor them? They're still part of the church, they're still part of the body of Christ, and they're still part of us, and they are not second-hand citizens. And we must find a way to, to minister to them. And if you're unvaxxed and you're watching this, allow us to minister to you. Don't isolate yourself. We're not against you, we're for you. We, we, need, to, we need to see this whole issue of, the, of, of vax and unvax from a biblical point of view. I'm telling you, you can argue till the cow comes home, you will not resolve the problem. Because a lot of people have watched four videos and they're now experts on the subject. And won't listen to anybody. There was a story told of a visiting pastor during the charismatic days. Uh, a guest speaker was visiting, uh, vis ministering in a local church and he was hosted by the pastor's wife who had cooked a beautiful dinner for him before the service. The pastor had a daughter and at dinner she behaved in a very insolent manner, shouted at the father, argued with him right in front of the guest and then stormed out of the room. The guest speaker was taken aback and thought to himself, wow, what a rebellious young lady. Well, anyway, the dinner was over. They went to the church. The service was on. During the service and worship, there was a prophetic word that came from the back of the church, a powerful prophetic word. And the guest speaker was so impressed by the prophetic word, he turned to look 
Who gave the word? It was the, the daughter, the young daughter. He said, no, Lord, this is not possible. How could you ever use that woman? I saw her. I saw her rebel. I saw her shout at her father. I saw her speak with her father with contempt. And the Spirit of the Lord reminded him straight away. He says, yes, but you did not see the way she went into her father's room and knelt down and wept and apologized and her, and of her behavior and made things right. I tell you, I guess that guest speaker didn't see the backstory. And when I see people, God using people, we don't ever, I think sometimes we must not judge them because we don't know the circumstances that they're going through. And I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you for 2022, let no evil communication come out of your mouth. Amen. We're people of unclean lips, man. And we dwell amongst people of unclean lips and we need to change. I, I believe this is the word of the Lord for this congregation for this season. Now, Genesis 22 in my opinion, is the greatest story in the Old Testament. We find Abraham offering his son Isaac at the altar. And according to the Jewish writers, the whole Genesis 22 episode was a result of a cosmic conversation between God and Satan. When Isaac was born, Abraham fell in love with that young boy. He was the apple of his eye. And it was then that Satan approached God and challenged him and says, you see, Abraham really loved his son Isaac more than he loves you. The gauntlet was thrown down and it was then that the Lord took the challenge and he said to Abraham, now take your son, your only son whom you love and bring him to the place that I will show you to offer him as a sacrifice. Of course, it was Mount Moriah, the place where Jesus himself would be crucified. And Abraham did not flinch for one moment and he obeyed immediately and not only did he become the father of our faith, his ultimate act of sacrifice foreshadowed what God was one day going to do many centuries later. I tell you, there's always a reason behind every story in the Bible. Sometimes we just need to say, God, just pull the curtain so I can understand. There was another interesting story, fascinating story, 1 Kings chapter 17, where Elijah tells Ahab, there will not be any rain for the next three and a half years. There's a reason for that in the Bible. And if you look at the preceding verse, it was, a few, it was a, a, about a man who lost his two sons because he built Jericho. And there was a curse that was given by Joshua. And Joshua said, the man who builds or rebuilds Jericho, he will do it at the cost of his oldest son and the cost of his youngest son. And of course, this man rebuilt Jericho and he lost his two sons according to the word of the Lord. And it was at a funeral, at the funeral of these two boys that Ahab saw Elijah and says, Ahab, uh, Elijah, you see, I worship all these idols. I worship all these Baals and Asherah and see how God is prospering me. And it was then that Elijah said, but at my word, it will not rain for the next three and a half years. And then we will see whether your gods can serve you, can save you. There's always a story. In Luke chapter 22, the Lord revealed to Simon Peter that Satan had desire for him to sift him as wheat. And Satan had recognized that Peter was going to be the leader of the apostolic band. So he challenged the Lord and the Lord gave him permission to sift Peter. And, just, and, just, and he was just revealing a little of the cosmic battles that goes behind the scenes. But the Lord also reassures Peter and says, Peter, I prayed for you. It's going to be okay. You will have the victory. Then Peter opens his mouth and says, I'm ready to die for you, man. Uh, we often get snared by our own words all the time. And it was then that the Lord says, before the cock crows, you would have denied me three times. 
And you all know the story, it's, I think it was Luke's gospel, John's gospel, where, where he had denied Jesus twice. The third time, the woman says, you are with one of them, you are with him. And he says, no, I do not know him. And the moment he did that, the cock crowed, and he turned and he looked, and Jesus turned his face, and their eyes met, and something just broke in that man. Not, a long, not too long ago, there was a world-famous Christian apologist who died and after he died, all his sins were exposed on social media, posted over and over again. And it was, in my opinion, one of the most horrible things that the church has ever done. We crucified a man's reputation and any dignity that he might have left. People tried to dig up dirt and more dirt, and the expose got more lurid. And I'm reminded of the verse in Proverbs 26 and verse 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. We're called to be watchmen, not watchdogs. I don't believe we can ever build a ministry around trying to expose and pull down another minister of the gospel, no matter how much you dislike them. Right now, what's happening is this, in Singapore, there's a pastor attacking another pastor. And he's, every week, there's something about the other pastor. He's trying to pull up as much dirt as possible. And that offends me. That sickens me. And I said, enough is enough, brother. Enough is enough, man. And we've got to stop doing that. My brothers, I want to just say this to you. Don't judge a minister of the gospel who has fallen. Why? Because you've never been in their shoes before. You've never been sifted by the devil like they have. And sometimes good men do stumble and they do fall. And that's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2, My brothers, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, if you are spiritual, then restore the person in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Ladies and gentlemen, restoration is the key and the goal, not condemnation. Don't condemn the man who has fallen into sin. He's already condemned. He's already downcast. What he needs is for the church to come alongside him and help him with gentleness. Now, we don't gloss over the sin, but neither should we be harsh in our judgment because Jesus said, I would never break a bruise reed. Come on. Man, don't allow the accuser of the brethren to accuse through you. Don't go and try and dig up the past about someone. Don't try and lay traps for people and to try and catch them and says, man, I knew they were just like that, you know. Stop pouring, uh, posting caustic messages on, on social media. Stop arguing on Facebook. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. Great minds talk about ideas. Mediocre mind talks about pe events. But small mind talk about people. <laughs> In the 1980s, there was a powerful man of God called John Wimber. And uh, John Wimber led what was the vineyard movement. He was the number one apostle in those days, man. Healing ministry. They saw thousands and thousands of people get healed. Um, but John Wimber didn't quite like the faith healers. And he said something publicly, very publicly, against uh, one of the faith healers called Kenneth Hagin, who was the leader of Ramah. In those days, they were recording hundreds of healings every week. But the week that he criticized Kenneth Hagin, they didn't see one single person got healed. And so he prayed and he said, Lord, what's happening? And the Lord said, I have stopped the anointing from flowing in your life because you spoke against my anointed. And he's, the Lord says, if you, if you don't publicly apologize for what you did, then that's the end of the ministry. That's, the, that's going to be no more anointing. Uh, 
And so he publicly got up and apologized and repent for what he did. And the healing started flowing straight away. Come on. And all that to say that there are people that God is using who might be doing things differently from us. They might not always be doing the things that we, the, we, the way we do. And we need to learn to honor those who fear him and be careful in our judgments. Come on. Yes, there is a place for correction in Scripture. There's a place for rebuke. But you have no right to correct another brother unless you truly cared for them and loved them and prayed for them. Because true authority comes from the heart. It doesn't come from the head. Amen? You know, for my part, I, I just want to say that I've grieved over, over myself many times because I've misjudged many pastors over the years, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Then I began to meet many of these pastors in my capacity as the chairman of the Alliance. Last year, I think I met 60 pastors for, for a meal. I always said to them, if you want to buy me lunch, I'm always available. <laughs> I met 60 pastors for a meal. And I sat down and I listened to their problems. And I said, tell me your story. And they told me the stories. And I hear of the grief and the pain that they've gone through. And I started loving them. And I started praying for them. And uh, how many of you know that when you're praying for somebody, it's very hard to criticize the person? Because you're busy serving them. And I start to have such a love for all the pastors in this country. All the pastors. Because now I'm in a situation, a position where I'm there called to serve these pastors. And this morning I had a prophetic word from Sylvia Evans. Just this morning, I got up and I saw a message. And she said, Pastor, the love that you have for this nation and for the pastors in this nation will extend beyond the shores of Singapore. And God is going to give you a love for the global church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I take it. I receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 7 and verse 24, Jesus tells us to judge with the righteous judgment. How in the world do we do that? Here are several principles. I'm watching my time and we will try and finish it in good time. Number one, the Bible says judge scripturally. God's word is God's standard. Not our feelings, not traditions, not our opinions. Right and wrong can only be measured and determined by one plumb line, and that's the Bible. It is the yardstick of measurement. So let's not fight about vexed or being unvexed outside of scriptural boundaries. If we don't know the answer, then ask God for wisdom and He will give to all liberally. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20 says, For the law and the testimony, if they speak not according to the word, it's because there is no light in them. That simply means that the word of God is the final arbiter. We must always speak in the context of the scriptures. Amen. The second way, is the second way we judge is we judge with a discerning heart. Of course, the Lord says to Solomon, what do you want in a dream? The Lord, the Solomon said, I want an understanding heart. Give me a heart to discern between good and evil. And that enabled Solomon to judge righteousness. James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If you lack wisdom, ask God and God will give to all men liberally. My friends, ask the Lord for discernment, man. Ask God for discernment. Number three, judge without partiality. One of the qualities of a judge in the Bible is impartiality. A judge was to be fair, both to the rich, to the poor, he cannot be given to bribes. I'm so moved by some of the pastors in our church and in our network. I'm so moved by Nelson, Pastor Nelson, our Telugu pastor, for relentlessly week after week reaching out to the poor and the needy and the disenfranchised. And I tell you this, my whole worldview has changed because I'm telling you there's some people amongst us that we think are the least but would be the greatest in heaven. And all the rich and powerful people that we know, 
that drive all the fancy cars and have all these GCB playhouses and bungalows. Jesus himself said this. He preached a sermon on the mount twice. Once in Luke and once in Matthew, both to a different crowd. In Matthew, it was a Jewish crowd. In Luke, it was more a Gentile, a mixed crowd. And you know, he said in, the, in, in Matthew, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's a reference to humility. But in Luke, he said, Blessed are the poor. Stop there. And he meant poor, physically poor, financially poor. And then he added, he said, But woe unto you who are rich. He says, In this life, you've got everything going for you, you've got your consolation. But the poor, man, and I, I tell you something, God has done something in my heart. I just wrote to my pastor, one of my pastors in Nagaland. He's, a, he's probably the greatest apostle that I know, man. If you want to talk about greatness, that man would travel 24 hours on car by to, to just to go to a small, tiny village and share Jesus with them. And I've not seen the persistence in a man. I said, Pastor Rocco, please take me on one of your trips. Next trip you go, if I can travel, I want to come to you. I, I want you to bring me to these poorest places. I want you to bring me to the rural areas where people can't get to. And I want to have the privilege just to sit where they sit, share the gospel with them. Because God has changed my whole worldview about these things. The poor are the ones who are, are given the richness of faith. Hallelujah. Amen. Number four, judge in truth. Paul exhorts us to speak the truth, but he says do it in love. Do it in love. If you don't speak the, you know, truth is, it's very, it's very hard. Sometimes people can't receive it. So speaking the truth in love is like building a bridge that's strong enough to bear the weight of the truth. We all have the tendency to jump to conclusions. Man, I knew there was something wrong with that guy, you know. But if you're going to correct somebody, do it in love. The Lord appeared to Brother Bailey, my spiritual mentor, one day and said to him, Brian, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's how you say it. Japanese proverb says, seven, search seven times before you judge. Hallelujah. Good advice. Number five, judge mercifully. Mercy triumphs over judgment all the time. If you're going to err, then err on the side of mercy. Amen. Um, Matthew 18, parable, Jesus, he talked about those that refused to forgive after being forgiven so much. He said, deliver them to the tormentors, to the torturers. The King James Bible says tormentors. That's the demonic, man. And that's why you see a lot of Christians under bondage by the demons. They are tortured. They, they, they are tormented in the, the head. They can't sleep. They can't do this. They can't, and they are, they are, it's because they refuse to forgive. I had a dream uh, two days ago, and I want to share this with you. I think this is an important dream. And in the dream, I was in this huge and spectacular stadium. Never seen a stadium like this. I've only seen it twice before, both in the dream. And this, this stadium was carved into the mountain sides. I mean, it was spectacular. I think what I'm seeing, what I saw, was one of the arenas in heaven. The, there was a race that was going on. It was a relay race. And the starter was ready. Everybody was ready. All the runners were at the starting block and everybody was waiting. We were waiting. We were waiting. We were waiting. And then I asked the question in the dream. I said, why don't they start the race? Everybody seems to be ready. And then somebody behind me said, they're waiting for 6.15. And I looked at my watch. It was 6.14, just one minute before 6.15. And then I get up from the dream. And the moment I get up from the dream, the Lord says, Matthew 6.15. 
And I turned to Matthew 6.15 and this is what Jesus said. He said, if you cannot forgive your brother, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. And I'm telling you this, my friends, that is the key. If you are going to get off the starting block this year, if things are going to happen for you this year, it has to start with us forgiving. Matthew 6.14 is just as important. Jesus said, those you forgive, if you forgive your brother, I will forgive you too. My heavenly father will forgive you. And I'm telling you, there's something about forgiveness that if we start to release forgiveness in our lives, it's going to be a powerful thing. Amen. Has not God been merciful to you? Then show mercy. Number six, finally, uh, judge yourself first. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about the communion. He says, before you have communion, judge yourself. Self-examination should always precede cross-examination. Amen. During the charismatic days, there was a meeting and uh, there was a prophetic word given by someone in the crowd as they were worshipping. And the prophetic word was this, Thus saith the Lord, examine thyself. Silence. And for the next few moments, people were, were responding. I don't know what they were doing, but several minutes passed and a second prophetic word came. Thus saith the Lord, I said, examine yourself, not your brother. <laughs> don't be a busybody, my friends. Choose this year. It's interesting. I, I just want to say this. And I don't mean to be personal. But every time the pastor changes a car, everybody has an opinion. Every time the pastor changes the car, everybody's an expert on what car the pastor should drive. I want to just say this to you so that you will see behind the scenes. Sometimes we, we meet very often as pastors, my executive team, and we sometimes talk about people in the church and we report about the good things that's happening. And every time we say, did you hear this? He's prospering, God's blessing him. Every time we talk about that, we high-five one, I'm in the spirit. We, we, man, we rejoice, we cheer, we pray to go, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We are so happy for you when you prosper. We're so happy for you when you're doing well. Now listen, if your pastors are doing well, can you just be happy for us too? I mean, come on, my friends. I've worked for 37 years of my life. Don't you think that I have got some savings? Every time I buy a car, I don't take one single cent from the church. I don't take one single cent from anybody. I don't go around and hint people, you know, I want to buy a car. I don't know if I got enough money. Because I, I know that faith does not come by hints. Hallelujah. I use my own money. And the current car I'm driving, I, I know it's a bit fanciful to the colour, it's the colour. <laughs> I asked the Lord two years ago, I said, Should, can I buy it? He said, no. That's it. Two years later, I saw something. I asked the Lord the same question. I said, can I buy it? He said, no, you can. And I, had, I, I knew I had permission from him. Because by the time I went to the, 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 the dealer, the price had dropped $50,000. Pre-COVID, post-COVID. I mean, the Lord saved me a lot of money, man. Don't be a busybody, man. You know, we are so opinionated. We have opinions on everything. You don't have to, Listen, I, sometimes people ask me, Pastor, what do you think? Of? I choose not to have an opinion of it. I choose not to have an opinion on it. And you can't make me have an opinion. All right? And so I think it's really uh, important for us to do that, you know, and um, just, just be careful how we, 
we judge. I, I want to show. <laughs> I, I okay. I know this is a serious message, but I want to show you a little video. I, I think that uh, the title of my message is um, "Do Not Judge a Book by Its Cover." I saw this on YouTube. I thought it was very funny. So can we just watch? You know what? In life, nah. Uh, uh, don't cover the church by. Uh, oh, don't charge the the cover. Charge the book. I man, don't don't put the cover. Book. I don't whatever. Don't do it. Just don't do it. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Well, you get it. Let's all stand. You get it. You get it. Uh, yesterday, um, uh, Chris Berkland sent me a dream that he had in the night. And he said, Pastor, I had this dream and I, I want to share this with you. He said, I was standing on a hill and I saw the trashing floor. This was a winnowing process. And he said, I saw stalks of wheat. But he says, the stalks were people, but they, they were represented as wheat. And they were speaking and you could hear the conversation. He said, there was a lot of these wheat that were criticizing and slandering and murmuring and complaining. And he said, as I was listening to these wheat, I saw the stalks become thicker and thicker and the head becoming smaller and smaller. In other words, they were losing their authority and their, their productivity. Then he said, I saw another group of wheat. He said, they were, when they were going through a difficult time, they started praising God. They started thanking God. They started worshiping. He said, the stalks became tinier and tinier, but the head became greater and greater. In other words, they, had, they grew in their authority. They grew in their fruitfulness. He said that the dream ceased. And I believe this is a word for us this morning. I'm just fact that he sent it to me yesterday for this message today. And I tell you this, in this church, you can choose to complain and murmur and criticize or you can choose to praise the Lord. Amen. And the reason some of you are not prospering is because every time you see somebody prospering, you complain about them. And that's the only reason God withholding blessings from you because if you don't know how to rejoice with somebody else, then why should He bless you? And we've got to start by learning to rejoice. Every time we hear somebody doing well, somebody prospering, come on, rejoice with them, hallelujah. Be happy for people, amen. Weep with those who weep, but rejoice with those who rejoice, hallelujah. And I want you to make a commitment with me this year that we will... For this year, ask the Lord to forgive you, cleanse you from your defiled mouth and your ears and your eyes. Ask Him to give you a renewed heart. Hallelujah, Lord. Let Him ask the Lord to elevate His voice above the noise. Amen. Hallelujah. Ask the Lord to remove us and, uh, from the past so that we can move on into the future. You know, the past is where we learn the lessons, but the future is where we learn to apply it. But what you do in between, the present, it's really important. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Amen. The past is wonderful to learn from. It's terrible to live in. And a lot of, of people sometimes live in the past and they're prisoners of their past and they can't get out of those prisons because of unforgiveness. And nothing is going to change in your life. Nothing is going to happen when you, until you learn to forgive. And I want to ask you this year as we start this brand new year together, would you join with me, my brothers and sisters, to make a commitment? And as far as I'm able, Lord, give me the grace that I would not criticize, I would not complain, I would not slander, I would not backbite, I would not be a busybody. And if I have to say something about somebody, Lord, help me to give me the grace to speak something good, Lord. Something positive, something to, to lift people up, not pull them down. And I've resolved in my heart, this is where I'm going to be. 
This is where I'm going to live. James chapter 1 verse 19. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. Quick to listen. And my friends, don't just listen so that you can rebut and reply. Listen to understand where people are. Father, I thank you for this morning and this service. I do believe that this is a word for us in season, Lord. It sets the whole tempo for the year, Lord. How we speak, Lord, that little member of our body. I want to recite one scripture and then I will close in prayer. Listen to this. This is Psalm 34. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Your praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my troubles. They looked to Him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered him from all his, his fears. The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear Him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, all you saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions suffer hunger and want, but they that seek the Lord shall like no good thing. Now listen carefully to this. David is speaking in the psalm. He says, Come, you children, and I'll teach you the fear of God. Who is the man that desires life and, this, and loves many days that he may see good? Keep his tongue from evil. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. My friends, I'm asking you to make a commitment. Lord, I will keep my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceit this year. Cleanse my mouth. Cleanse my lips, Lord. Sanctify me, God. And if you will do that, I believe the Lord is going to put treasure in your mouth and you're going to speak with great authority and greater power. So Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, seal this moment, Lord. I pray that this will be a, a, a turning point for many people. And for those of you who have trouble forgiving, in the name of the Lord Jesus, give them grace to forgive right now, Lord. Forgive, my friends. Forgive. Every morning, stand before the Lord and ask the Lord to scan your mind. Do a quick scan and say, God, is there someone I need to forgive? You know, last week I said this to the church. I said, if there's anyone that I've hurt, anyone that I've offended, anyone that I've, you know, that I've done something that hurt you, would you please write to me? You know, I was expecting an avalanche of emails, <laughs> but I'm, only, I'm glad only one person wrote to me. And he said, Pastor, you did something that I was hurt. And you know, we, I restored the relationship. I apologize. We restored the relationship. He's happy. I'm happy. And then, the Heavenly Father is happy. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, again, I ask you if you feel like there's something that you need to get off your chest. You know, I, I listen, I'm ready. I'm ready to make things right because I know I, I number my days every morning. I tell you this, every morning I wake up, I thank God for the next 24 hours of life and I don't want to waste my time and I thank God for every moment that I have because I know that I'm one day closer to standing before Him on the judgment day. There are two most important days in my life when I got born again and when I stand before Jesus. So Father, give us a heart of wisdom. Bless your people with every spiritual blessing. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God a big praise. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. 
Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.